Welcome to Pushback. I'm Aaron Maté. Wanted to give you an update on what's been happening recently with the OPCW's Syria cover-up scandal. As you know, probably we've covered this exhaustively at the Gray Zone. I think it's one of the most important stories in the world. It gets almost no attention in the Western media. I think that's a scandal in itself, as I've said many times. And we're going to continue to cover it. And we're going to continue to try to break the sound barrier around it. And so there are new developments to report. Let me just recap the story quickly for anybody who might not be aware of it. In April 2018, Syria was accused of committing a chemical weapons attack in the town of Douma. A week later, the U.S., Britain, and France bombed Syria in purported retaliation. About a year after that, in March 2019, the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons, the OPCW, put out a report that seemed to support the official U.S. line that the Syrian government was guilty of a chlorine weapons attack. But then a series of leaks began to emerge from inside the OPCW, showing that the OPCW inspectors on the ground had reached a far different conclusion than what their superiors said publicly and put out in their final report. And the evidence that the inspectors collected on the ground in Duma did not support the narrative that the Syrian government was guilty of a chemical weapons attack. And in fact, some evidence pointed to this being staged on the ground by the militants who controlled Duma at the time, a extremist militia named Jaysh al-Islam, which would make sense because from a point of view of rationality, it made no sense for Syria to commit a chemical weapons attack knowing that that would invite a U.S. military strike as Trump had done a year prior over another allegation of chemical weapons in Khan Sheikhoun. While meanwhile, it made perfect sense for a militia trying to stave off the Syrian government retaking its territory, it made perfect sense for them to try to trigger some kind of intervention in a bid to desperate bid to try to weaken the Syrian government, because that really was the opposition's only hope at that point. Unfortunately, a lot of Western media has completely ignored the story. There are, of course, some brave exceptions, like the late Robert Fisk, who got on the ground in Duma and actually found early evidence that a scene at a hospital was staged to falsely make it appear as if there was a chemical weapons attack. And Fisk, of course, was subsequently vindicated vindicated by these OPCW leaks. So although there hasn't been very much media attention, we've continued to report it at the gray zone. And meanwhile, there has been this attempt to litigate it or to raise the issue at the dip- at the diplomatic level at the United Nations. So there have been a series of meetings where Russia and China have tried to put this on the agenda. One of the dissenting inspectors, Ian Henderson, has spoken at the United Nations. I've spoken at the UN as well, as well as Ted Postel, uh, the uh, eminent MIT professor, physicist. And Jose Bustani, the former OPCW director general, who actually worked with the two dissenting inspectors, he was going to deliver remarks to the UN Security Council. But you, you might remember just a few months ago, the U.S. and its allies voted to block him from speaking. They barred Jose Bustani from addressing the U.N. So then some recent public attacks have happened against the whistleblowers. Some anonymous sources have laundered false or deceptive claims 
against the whistleblowers via Bellingcat and the BBC, which I've written about at the Gray Zone, and I'll link to it below. But most recently, there was an extraordinary follow-up session at the UN Security Council, where again, this was on the agenda. And the guest of this session was none other than the OPCW Director General, Fernando Arias. And for the first time, Fernando Arias was asked direct questions about the OPCW scandal. And for the first time, Arias was given an opportunity to provide answers. Because so far, in the absence of aggressive media reporting and the OPCW actually <clears throat> shunning media requests, so when I write them, they don't respond to me. And I think many journalists have had the same experience. This was an opportunity for some answers. Now, did we get answers? No, we didn't, because the questions were posed, and as we'll see, RES did not want to respond to them publicly, and that's exactly what happened. He moved the session to closed doors. So we're going to go through the questions that RES was posed, because I think they're important, and then we'll talk more about how the story has been playing out, including the deceptive attempts to discredit the whistleblowers by Bellingcat and the BBC. So let's go to the first question, and it is posed by the Russian permanent representative to the UN, Vasily Nebensia. I apologize to Russian speakers if I butchered that. And the ambassador first asked a very simple question to Arias. He asked him whether or not he will agree to meet with the dissenting inspectors who protested the censorship of their investigation, who pointed to key facts that were removed or distorted and who have asked for a chance to meet with Arias and to present the data and the information that was suppressed in a transparent scientific setting. Sounds like a very simple demand, but so far Arias has refused it and none of the states that bombed Syria have supported it. In fact, they've viciously attacked the whistleblowers and they've accused them of being pawns of Russia and Syria and all that. But without even agreeing to this very simple task of will you meet with them and hear their concerns. So this is the Russian ambassador asking Arias if he will meet with the inspectors. Fourth, the Duma report. The controversy surrounding the OPCW Duma investigation and report has been widely publicized, with some of the investigators claiming there was irregular and scientifically fraudulent behavior in the process, involving suppression and manipulation of interalia chemistry, and toxicology evidence, as well as a failed attempt to publish a doctored version of the team's original report. You have said all views were taken into consideration, yet the inspectors say otherwise. Many believe, including the OPCW First Director General, Jose Bustani, that an open and free discussion between management and all the investigators would surely help the organization resolve this controversy. And after all, the CWC provides for inspectors to attach their differing observations. So what Nebenzaya is saying there is simply, will you meet with the inspectors? And he points out that under the Chemical Weapons Convention, inspectors who take part in investigations, as these inspectors did, have the right to attach their differing observations and conclusions to OPCW reports if they don't agree with the findings. That certainly was the case here, that the team that conducted the investigation in Duma did not agree with the final report in their name. But of course, their conclusions, their facts were suppressed and censored. So that is a basic question is, will you let will you meet with them and let them air their concerns? 
Now we go on to the second question from the Russian ambassador to OPCW Director General Arias. And he brings up this pivotal incident where in June 2018, after the Duma team had returned from Syria, they had written their report. It had been peer-reviewed by other members of the team. The chief author of the report was Dr. Brendan Whelan, who was at the time considered the OPCW's top expert in chemical weapons chemistry. He also was the uh, scientific coordinator of the entire Duma mission. And it was later revealed that he was one of the inspectors who challenged the censorship because he was the first to discover that the report that he had overseen and authored and had submitted, he discovered at the last minute, really, that it had been doctored and that unknown people above him had rewritten his own report and added all these unsupported conclusions that falsely suggested that the team had evidence of a chemical weapons attack when, as Whelan pointed out in a letter, they had no such evidence. And so here, the Russian ambassador asked Arias about that, and he also asked him about a recent report in the gray zone where we showed new leaks from inside the OPCW, which showed that after Whelan protested the censorship of his initial report, a OPCW official, Bob Fairweather, who was the chief of cabinet, who was a basically a top aide to the director general at the time, who was RES's predecessor, he responded by acknowledging that the censorship had taken place, but all he said was that it was not done at the behest of the director general, which is a very curious response. He's not challenging Whelan's allegation that his own report has been censored. He's just saying that it was not done at the behest of the director general. So yes, there was censorship, but we didn't do it. It wasn't on our behalf. So this is the Russian ambassador asking RES about that. Fifth, the Duma report. It is now well established via leaked documents and testimony from former OPCW inspectors that the original interim report was heavily redacted and there was a failed attempt to publish this redacted version without the knowledge of the Duma FFM team which also had unsupported conclusions inserted. This has been widely reported, and as far as we know, you have not denied it publicly. This incident amounts to a major act of deception within the OPCW and was, as you are aware, the cause of the original dissent within the FFM. In an email recently published by the news outlet Grazo, it is claimed by the former chief of cabinet that the redaction was not done at the behest of your office. Has an investigation ever been conducted to determine at whose behest it was done? And if so, what was the outcome and what actions were taken? So what he's asking there is very simple. There was a report by the Duma team. It was censored and doctored and unsupported conclusions, falsely suggesting that a chemical weapons attack had occurred, were added. And he's saying, has there been an investigation into who did that? Who doctored the original report of the Duma team and who tried to insert all of these claims that had no scientific basis. And that's another very important question that is called into sharper relief even by these latest leaks that we published at the Gray Zone, which shows that an OPCW official, Bob Fairweather, acknowledged the censorship, but just said it was not done at the OPCW Director General's behest. Moving on to the next question. The Russian ambassador points out that there has been this claim by the OPCW that 
one of the reason why Brendan Whelan, who authored that initial report and then authored that email of protest challenging the censorship of that report, the OPCW has claimed about Whelan that he left the OPCW in September 2018, and the OPCW's final report was put out in March 2019. So the argument there is that the reason why Whelan is not credible here is because so much work was conducted after Whelan left the organization. Now, there's a problem with that. First of all, it's not true. If you look at the final report, you'll see that the vast majority of all the key areas of work were conducted by the time Whelan wrote his first report. And then you have the question that touches on what was raised in the earlier questions, which is that if you have this initial allegation of scientific fraud by Whelan with that first report, and if that fraud is never investigated and it's never addressed, then the fact that more work happened after that does not disprove the allegations of fraud. It only raises the questions that more fraud occurred to cover up the initial fraud. And that's, I believe, exactly what happened. So this is uh, at the heart of what the Russian ambassador asked Arias in this question. Sixth, again, the Duvo report. The Courage Foundation panel in October 2018 reported detailed anomalies regarding the final FFM Duma report concerning chemistry, toxicology, ballistics, and witness testimony. These anomalies were corroborated by leaked documents and are now well understood. However, you refused to respond to any of these clear and well-specified issues and instead repeatedly dismissed the issues on the basis of an assertion that most of the work was carried out after the departure of Inspector B. But if we compare the final report with the leaked original report, it is clear that the bulk of the text was already written by June 2018. In view of these facts, do you still stand of your assertion that the bulk of the FFM report, bulk of the FFM investigation was carried out after the departure of Inspector B? And by the way, when he says Inspector B, he's referring to Brendan Whelan. That is how Whelan is described officially by the OPCW. All right, moving on. Now... The Russian ambassador asked Arias about this recent hoax that we exposed at the Gray Zone by Bellingcat, where basically Bellingcat claimed that they have obtained a letter that Arias himself sent to Whelan. And Bellingcat said that this letter that Whelan was sent disproved all of Whelan's claims and vindicated the OPCW's final report, which said that there are reasonable grounds to believe that a chlorine attack took place. The problem with this, as we showed, is that the letter was a hoax, that the letter that Bellingcat claimed was sent to Whelan was never actually sent. And one reason it might not have been actually sent, if really it was written up by someone inside the OPCW, is because its claims were so ludicrous. It claimed to have uncovered this smoking gun chemical named uh, bornal chloride inside a wood sample found at a location in Duma. And this letter said that that was the smoking gun, basically, that allowed them to conclude that there was a chlorine gas attack because boron chloride that it contended was a marker of chlorine gas. And they also said that they were able to detect this by some new techniques that were developed after Whelan left the organization. There's a major problem with that, though. It contradicts the conclusions of the OPCW's own final report, which says that actually it notes the presence of boron chloride, but it says explicitly that that does not prove conclusively that there was chemical gas. And of course, it makes no mention of any kind of new techniques or methods that were used to detect 
um, chemical uh, chlorine samples inside wood. So it was a nonsensical claim contradicted by the OPCW's own report. And that's presumably why it was never actually sent to Wheelands because it's so ludicrous. Then Bellingcat made an even dumber claim, which is that they said that privately Syria and Russia had accepted the report's conclusions, which if you think about it is ludicrous on its face because if Syria and Russia had really secretly agreed to report's conclusions, then why have they been fighting it in public for the last two years? Why have we been having this big debate? Someone could have just produced Syria and Russia's secret admissions of guilt and that would have been the end of it. But of course, they can't because those admissions of guilt don't exist. So that was the Bellingcat scam. They issued a very cowardly retraction, uh, but they were embarrassed and it was pretty funny, especially because what was especially funny about it is while they rolled it out, they accused Whelan of concealing this damning letter that in reality, of course, he did not receive. But then they also accused people like me of somehow hiding the damning information as if like if I had been leaked it and, I, and if I had kept it from the public, then I was complicit in some kind of cover up. But the problem is, again, their smoking gun was a fraud. And uh, so they basically were guilty of what they accused me of. They didn't do di- they didn't do proper due diligence, and they got played by their source, whoever it was. So in this question from the Russian ambassador, Arias is asked about that. Seven recent leaks from the OPCW. Bellingcat. In recent weeks, reported OPCW persons have leaked a draft letter to the Bellingcat website. The Bellingcat article claims. You said Inspector B's assumptions about the final report are wrong because, I quote, he simply wasn't aware of the latest scientific techniques used by the OPCW because they were developed after he left the organization. It was these techniques that allowed the OPCW to conclude chlorine gas had been released in the building in which the Syrian civilians died, end quote. Regarding the draft letter leaked to the Bellingham, can you confirm, first, if it originated inside the OPCW, second, if you agree with what it said, Three, if an investigation has been initiated into the suspected leak. So it's a fair question. You have this leak purportedly from inside the OPCW. It was used to try to impugn a former inspector and make false claims about him. Will there be an investigation? I'd love to know that as well. Uh, But the OPCW is not talking. And as we'll see, RES did not allow us to hear his answer. So... um, that's very interesting. And uh, if you want to read more about the Bellingcat incident, we'll link to it below. It's up at thegrayzone.com. The next question is about more leaks from the gray zone. Yes, we did make a heavy appearance here at the United Nations. Um, and this is from a new, leak, a new leak that we published recently where we showed that before all these attempts to denigrate the OPCW inspectors in public by groups like Bellingcat, and there was another recent podcast on the BBC that basically recycled Bellingcat's debunked claims. Before all this, in private, we showed leaks that showed that top OPCW executives, a few of them, actually praised the inspector's efforts and voiced serious concern about the Duma cover-up. But the problem was, as we showed, one executive who praised Brendan Whelan, who praised him for standing up for his investigation and for protesting the censorship, the same OPCW executive voiced concern about helping, quote, the Russian narrative, where basically they said that, yes, something is wrong here. This does not look good. But to push this further, 
to stand up to this is something I don't want to do because that would help the Russian narrative. And the takeaway there is that this is an OPCW executive acknowledging that there's some serious malfeasance, but not wanting to do anything about it because they don't want to help Russia and don't want to help the, quote, Russian narrative. Well, the obvious point is that the OPCW shouldn't care about anyone's narrative, whether it's Russian or the U.S. narrative. They should care about science. And their science should not be subordinate to anyone's narrative. And whether that means you help Russia's narrative or you don't help it, it shouldn't matter. The point is you should be faithful to the science and the facts, not what the geopolitical consequences are. So that was a very telling admission. And that is what the Russian ambassador asked Arias about. Eight, this last week, new documents have emerged, again from the gray zone, which confirm that other senior officials also shared concerns regarding the Duma investigation and were supportive of the dissenting inspectors. One senior official is reported to have made highly politicized and prejudiced comments that the Duma investigation could not be challenged because otherwise it would, I quote, fit into the Russian narrative. Have you been made aware of this and what comments do you have? I will stop here. Uh, eight questions will be enough for a start, but I can assure you uh, we have many more. So those are the questions from the Russian ambassador to the UN, Vasily Nebenzaya, to OPCW Director General Fernando Arias. Now let's hear Fernando Arias's response. Does he address any of these questions? Does he say anything substantive about this OPCW cover-up scandal that he is now tasked with responding to? No, he doesn't. His only response is to complain that these questions were posed and to request that he answer them in private. I thank you, Mr. Chairman, Mr. President. Mr. President, I understood that this first part of the session was an open session only for statements, and the questions and answers would be under protected uh, mode. Has it uh, changed like that? Uh, Mr. Arias, the council members have the right to address the council in the manner that they uh, choose. We'll come back to the closed session. So that's it. That's the answer we got from OPCW Director General Fernando Arias to the multiple questions he received from Russia about the Duma scandal. And he doesn't want to answer them in public. He wants to move to a private session. And I'm told by my sources at the UN that he didn't offer anything of substance at all in private, which means that this occasion was important because it was the first time that RES has been directly questioned about all the malfeasance and subterfuge that took place with the Duma investigation. But he did not provide any answers because I don't think he can provide any answers because the facts are so overwhelming and not on the OPCW's side. Which means that this will continue to be pursued at the United Nations and we'll continue to cover it at the gray zone. There have been interesting attempts recently, which we've talked about and reported on, to try to discredit the OPCW inspectors. And they've come from people tied somehow to the OPCW, although I don't know if these efforts are directly sanctioned by the director general or if it's someone else with a vested interest in trying to discredit these inspectors. We had, as I mentioned, the Bellingcat hoax, which we debunked. 
Then there was this BBC podcast called Mayday, which recycled Bellingcat's assertions. And they also relied on this purported OPCW source, and they identify him as a guy named Leon. They don't say what he did at the OPCW. They don't even say if he worked on the Doom investigation. All they say is that he worked for the OPCW, or he works for the OPCW, but they don't say in what capacity. His comments suggest to me that he was not actually involved in the Duma investigation because the actor who they have reading his comments, and they say that these are his exact words, he refers to the OPCW team in Duma as they. They had to wait for like two weeks. And in those two weeks, the site was under the control of the Russian military and the Syrian government. This is someone I'm going to call Leon. It's not his real name or his real voice, but these are his words. He works for the OPCW. The organisation's mandate is to report their findings and conclusions directly to member countries, so they're rarely, if ever, allowed to address the media themselves. But I tracked Leon down and he agreed to break the rules and talk to me because he recognises that there's still a lot of confusion about what happened in Duma. And that suggests to me, if he's calling the team they, that he was not among the team that went to Duma. Which makes sense because after they came back from Syria and after they wrote their initial report, after Dr. Whelan protested the censorship, very quickly, everybody who stepped foot in Syria for the investigation, who stepped foot in Duma, was taken off the investigation and replaced by the so-called core team, made up entirely of people who either didn't go to Syria at all, or if they went to Syria, were only there for a day, but didn't go into Duma at all. And some of them went to Turkey, where a bunch of witnesses were heard who were set up by the White Helmets, which is a shady UK and US and Gulf and Turkey-backed organization that actually was implicated in the Duma incident, because as a BBC reporter found, Riam Dalati is his name. He did a long investigation finding that the Duma hospital scene where victims were reportedly filmed being hosed down, he found that that was staged and that was uh, carried out with the involvement of the White Helmets. So it's interesting. This BBC podcast tries to whitewash the White Helmets. It also tries to discredit the OPCW inspectors. And it uses this guy, Leon, who whoever he is, it's somebody is trying very hard through Bellingcat to the BBC to discredit the OPCW whistleblowers. But as we've shown with our articles rebutting these attempts, and as RES's refusal to answer basic questions shows, you can't refute this issue on the facts. It's just the facts here are so overwhelming. There was a cover-up. There was a report that was censored. They've never been allowed to come to light. The OPCW refuses to meet with the inspectors who challenged the cover-up. And as Noam Chomsky said to me when I interviewed him recently, you know, you have to draw your conclusions from that. What does that say? If there's such an overwhelming amount of energy put into trying to silence and discredit the people who are challenging the cover-up and who are alleging wrongdoing. It says that there is something to hide here. And, uh, this appearance with RES where he wanted to hide from the public and answer his questions only in private is the latest manifestation of that. So we'll continue to cover it, of course, here at the Gray Zone. 
and we'll see what happens next. I can tell you that there are more developments in this story coming soon. Thank you for tuning in and for continuing for continuing to be interested in the story for those of you who are because it's been really difficult trying to get it out there past the media wall, like the curtain that's been erected around the story because I think the problem is if they acknowledge it, it really shatters the core of the propaganda that is used to justify the war on Syria, whether it was the proxy war for a decade or whether it's this ongoing economic war now via sanctions. This is when you see the U.S. try to justify it, they cite things like chemical weapons attacks. And to expose that this one was a deception exposes something much bigger, exposes that there was so much malfeasance and so much criminality that was done to justify this awful war. That's what we got for now. Thank you for tuning in and supporting us at The Gray Zone more soon. Thank you.